0: Hello, and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists,
1: and DJs.
0: <laughs> and DJs. I'm your user experience DJ, Roman Burcott. Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Roman. How are you doing tonight?
0: <laughs> I'm wiggity, 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 whack. <laughs> Also joining us this week is Nelson Yu, Director of Strategy and Business Development at Experian. Nelson has more than a decade of experience launching new products and entirely new lines of business. I like to say Nelson is design woke, meaning that he gets human-centered design. So please welcome to the show my friend, Nelson Yu. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I appreciate it. So I guess the first thing we have to ask you, Nelson, is: uh, ha- Did you have a chance to listen to the previous episode uh, called "The Overlap"?
2: I did. I actually really, really enjoyed it. It was it was a great opportunity to just get in the minds of a couple designers and how they think about product <laughs> management people. <laughs> So I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think, Larry, you actually had some questions, although this was over a month ago, so I don't remember a lot of them off the top of my head.
1: Oh, oh I remember um, them.
2: But <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd love to be happy to share a perspective. And I think what I could provide, I think, is uh, actually two perspectives. Kind of one was pre-woke and then post-woke uh, You know, perspectives there. So happy to, happy to share that.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there at Experian?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I work in the strategy and business development group, uh, which is an interesting group. It actually falls within our broader product management group, and you know that's my background is in product management. Uh, think of think of the role as you know kind of four parts, right? And I hope I can even name all four. Uh, one is strategy, right? Really starting to look at the broader picture, the market level strategy, and a lot of the things I'm doing are are. You know, the work I do today bears fruit probably a year plus from now versus kind of the core product group is really focused on, you know, fires burning today, opportunities today, what's right in front of them. Um, So there's this part strategy, part business development, right, which is largely, you know, where we're looking for that company where us plus them equals three, right, to bring something unique to the market. Um, then there's obviously product management tools and mindsets uh, to really start to deliver and bring those things to market and the fourth one uh, which is starting to become pretty pretty big here is the innovation framework right having that innovation process or framework to, to guide um, as you approach new market opportunities new product opportunities where there's significant amount of uncertainty. Right, so you don't just go say, you know, that's a great thing to do. Let's go build it for 12 months, launch and cross our fingers that we figured everything out and, and we're just rich. Uh, so take a very thoughtful approach around how to deploy uh, new products, new businesses, and you know, kind of defer cost and risk or uh, mitigate risk wherever possible.
0: There's, there's people there with a lot of like, legit chops in product innovation.
2: I think the company is making an invest uh, a concerted effort to uh, invest in training folks uh, to have a standardized way of approaching innovation um, which i think is, a, is great you know are we all the way there far from it um, but it's definitely a, you know a step in the transformation that i'm super excited about um, within cis we have leadership here that have been in large fintech companies Ensure uh, tech companies that have leveraged innovation practices and frameworks. Um, and it's super great to see a lot of my leaders who I absolutely believe in and, and share product development methodologies, innovation methodologies uh, that makes it easier, easy to work here, right? You know, it's always logical versus, like, hey, let's just go build this and get it, get it out the door. <laughs> and that was like the only success metric was, hey, we got it out early. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool to be in a company that's, that's really focused on that today.
1: So you talked about the pre-woke and the, the post-woke. I would like to hear more about, uh, uh, what that transformation was like and when, what, what was the, what was the tipping point of you being not woke and being woke and maybe explain what you mean by that.
2: Pre-woke. I think I kind of spoke to a little bit about earlier. Pre-woke was as a product manager, your, your, your goal was. Get stuff out the door, ship, 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 right? There was never a question of if it was the right thing to ship, if customers actually wanted it. Uh, did we overbuild it? Uh, could we have you know delivered less and actually solved more by doing that? It was hey, this is the scope from above. Go figure it out and get it done. And that was my career uh, for seven years, and you know that was basically my objective was just to get stuff out the door that I was asked to do, um, and seen and was and did it well and was seen as successful, mm-hmm. and you know was 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 rewarded for all of that, and then I think it came a point in time when you started to realize like there's got to be more to this than just delivering stuff that your leadership asks you to do. Um, And that was luckily around the time when, you know, my employer at the time was uh, brought in our first UX designer. And, you know, that was uh, a great, you know, time for me because, you know, there was another perspective. And I remember that person sharing with me, um, you know, whether it was like blue ocean strategy, the concept of empathy, uh, really to open my mind around, you know, really bringing that voice of customer uh, to the table. Um, and, and I just remember it being completely abstract for me. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> you spend time with customers? Um, what does it mean to have empathy for them? Like, it was just completely abstract. I just had no understanding what that was. I'm like, yeah, it made sense, but I just couldn't piece that all together. And, and it was great to, you know, then meet Roman shortly after that. Um, you know, then my company actually hired, or then company actually hired a design agency, um, which allowed me to work with folks that, you know, lived and breathed doing that type of work every day and got to see them do it. And I still remember during that six-month project working alongside them and just being completely blown away and still not even fully at that time understanding what it all meant. And actually, you know, it took me about six months after that engagement where, you know, I was doing a lot of reading online and starting to really understand oh that's what they were doing they were doing that and kind of piecing it all together after the fact Um, i just started doing a lot of self-learning whether it was books articles you know talking with roman and others and then started to really kind of understand what innovation really means, right? How do you solve for the customer? How do you build a viable business, right? And the difficulties of that and having a framework or a process to help you through that. And that was really kind of the uh, the journey of being woke for me. And it's funny too, it's been what, you know, five years now and every day I, I feel like I still learn something new and things that I understood even three years ago, I unpack even more now, understand just more about it.
1: Yeah, so I want to dig into that a little bit because so um I so when we talked about product management and UX in the the last episode where we um I don't remember the name of the title. What was the title again for that?
0: The overlap. I the think that's Overlap. Yes.
1: So and sort of the overlap sort of suggests that hey, there is some sort of overlap between PM and UX. And I have sort of this theory of um different people that are in product management are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, right? So a lot of times PM type people come from, you know, they were engineers and then they get into product management after that, or they were some sort of business focused people and they got into product management after that. Um, There's not... I'm not aware of any like actual schools that people go to for product management, but they always come from some other background, whether it's business or, or, or the, you know, engineering or technology side of things. Um, But I also see this other group of people that are sort of, you know, now moving into product management that are from that UX background who are, you know, they started out woke before they got into product management. And um, I'm just, I, 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 I have this theory that there's like these two distinct groups of people that came from different places and got into product management in different ways. But I feel like I, I mean, naturally I feel more akin and connected to the people who came from the UX background because they have those more mature, I think, research practices and and research methodologies where they can get to those core customer problems um, much easier, or much quicker, and much more reliable than the people that came from the business or technical side, who don't have those research skills. They don't understand the, you know, the, you know, under, um, not just asking people what they want, but being able to observe and 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 get a really deep understanding of the problems they have, not that are unarticulated, as opposed to the the articulated ones from the customers.
2: Uh, you're right. There is no school. And, you know, if you look at product managers like myself, uh, I was doing auto insurance claims. I was doing that. And then within a week later, I was working and being a product manager. Um, So you're saying the bar is low. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's it's one of those things where if you talk to every product manager, uh, majority of them will say, kind of just fell into it like they didn't go to school for it
0: kind of like us they didn't yeah.
2: <laughs> just <laughs> um although i think there are schools for for design right there's no, yeah. you know the california college of the arts right there's actually design schools um and i guess the point is for i think larry what you were saying was there is nothing for product right there you don't go to college and there's some Undergrad degree for product management, right? It's likely some economics course, potentially kind of takes you down that path. Um, but like me, like so many others, we just kind of fell into it, uh, just accidentally. And again, I host a I host a product meetup, and you know when you talk to anyone that's in product management, it always starts as the same way. I was doing this, and then I became this, and I became that product manager. So I think that's I think that's the number one I think key um, kind of insight about it is is that because people just fall into it they don't lead into it thinking, oh, I'm doing this because I enjoy spending time with customers and understanding their pain points and love the the uh, creative side of it where I understand how people think and behave and let that inspire new solutions. You know, they, they just kind of fall into it. It's like, oh, you know, there's this thing called product management in companies. All right? You get to work on this thing, you know, this product and be a big part of it. Oh, that sounds interesting. Then you just kind of jump into it. And then you just start what I would say. You kind of just fake it till you make it. <laughs> in other words, you know, as as you kind of get into it, literally you're figuring out, well, what's the role here? And then you just do whatever you think, you know, it is uh, as well as what the company defines it as. And you, as you all know that it's incredibly different by all companies um so i think you're spot on that there is no school um, and there are actually a couple companies uh whether it's general assembly or product school that aren't necessarily like have a degree right part of it it's basically some two or three month course where you build the foundation and understanding of what it means to be a a good product manager so that's to the extent of school and when i was doing this 12 13 years ago um, back then it was just pragmatic marketing practical product management. That was the closest thing to training, but it was incredibly B2B. Um, But I'm really impressed with what General Assembly and product school has done. It's it's a great curriculum um, and what I call, you know, more modern product management, where I feel like um, a lot of the pragmatic marketing was a little kind of dated. I think the more modern product management takes on uncertainty, takes on some design methods as part of helping you solve problems. Um, so I've always been impressed with, with, with these two uh, new companies that are solving that problem.
1: Yeah. So given that I, you know, I've seen, you know, a lot of different product managers in in different companies where their scope of work is, you know, very different depending on the place that, you know, that, that they are working at. And um, uh, so Kind of give me your idea of, you know, the different ways you've seen UX and PM sort of work together and where those lines are and where should there be lines and maybe where are the places where the overlap just makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, I, I think it depends on, you know, so let's use an example, right? When when I was working with Roman at, at, a, at a previous employer, we were working on a product that was decade, a product and a business model that was, you know, decades old. And the company wasn't trying to advance that in any way. They, if anything, they were, they were just trying to protect it. So the reality is that product management there was largely, uh, you know, in a place of certainty. We we knew our customer. We well, we knew our customer, and <laughs> they knew their customer. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot there, but um, you know, we the company felt like they knew what moves to make. Um, and at that point, then when you you know. I'd love to hear kind of Roman talk about it, but design at that point was a production shop. Yeah, very much. It was. We are. We know we're going to add this feature. Give me the designs that that do that. Right mm-hmm. now, you know, you can make the argument that the better question was, you know, was that really the right feature? What problem does it solve for who? Is this the right way to solve it? Right. Which at that point becomes much more about product design. You know, obviously um, having VOC. Uh, Will help all of that, but that just wasn't the environment at the time. It was, hey, this feature needs to be done by, you know, this date. Let's go get the designs, go write the requirements, let's get it in the queue. Mm -hmm. And that was really the environment, you know, so I think that's, that's one, one avenue or one type of environment. Um, And then even at the same company, right? Roman and I actually were in a different environment. Uh, Where, you know, the company acknowledged, okay, great, you know, the existing business model, existing products been going for decades, it can't keep going that way, we got to really start to figure out how to evolve it. And we were asked to go off site to basically innovate, it was like, literally, like, the only direction was innovate. (laughs) Um, And, you know, in that environment, right, where you're starting to really advance uh, your value proposition, identify new ways to monetize, I think you got to go to your roots, right, really understand, you know, who your customer is uh spend spending time with them to deeply understand how they feel about whatever problem you're trying to solve whatever pain points they have and kind of go back to the basics right um you know basically unwind everything you believe around your your space and and your current product things like that and then once you get back to those basics you can then run a process of okay great you know this is how people think about your you know your your problem um that letting that inspire and drive new ways to solve it and the new ways to monetize um, that's a completely different environment, right? And, and I love that environment. And I think it's where Roman and I spent a lot of time. We were, I think, in a lot of ways, both, uh, we were very happy, right? Um, you know, getting mm-hmm, to work on mm-hmm. big challenges, big problems like that, um, but equally maybe unhappy with the, you know, the difficulty of trying to bring that type of change to an organization that has operated in a, let's just get stuff done, um, very, you know, lacking forward thinking um but it was a great place for us to you know work side by side and I think I've always said this to Roman and I'll stop there in a moment um to hear your thoughts but I remember there I remember I feel like Roman you and I had this conversation I felt like it was like you know we believe in the same way of approaching this problem right we share design methodologies you know whether it's lean startup design thinking empathy whatever you want to call it we believe in those things so where we are in the process was exploration and let's let's take our titles off the table. You know, I, Like I don't have to have the product manager title. You don't have to have the designer title. We didn't have any researchers, but it was almost like we knew that we had to go do research, right? And it didn't matter what, what our titles were at that moment, but we knew what we wanted to accomplish. So let's just go do that and do that as well as possible and, and value that we have diverse perspectives that will bring it all together at the right time
0: one of the standout experiences to me was that uh, there was a time where I think I was underwater working on research for like processing the, uh, the notes from the participants and scheduling like our next batch of interviews and all that. And so because I was underwater, another team member with a title of product manager started doing screens and she just started putting screens together and that was just okay. Right. It was like, oh, we're not hung up on, you know, like what our specific roles are. We're just able to kind of come in and compliment and, you know, just join in because we're all working on all of it together at the same time. I think that's kind of on the extreme end of where you would find yourself in more typical practice, right? Like, like you said, in environments of higher certainty, it seems like product and, and design need to be a little bit farther apart but I'm you know i don't want to take that as a as a foregone conclusion you know what are your thoughts i i saw a um a rather pointed tweet that articulated it as a product designer is just a product manager who does his own screens <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's funny you know my current environment we have a design a design team they're very lean a team of three and we have probably 30, 40 product folks, business folks um, in that product management organization. And I don't get a lot of design help because they know that I know design methods. They know that I can get, I'm not, you know, I don't shy away from starting with a post-it to start sketching. I don't shy away from getting into whether it's balsamic or PowerPoint to to sketch out that wireframe. but yeah, I, I completely understand where that or uh, that co- why that comment could be made. Um, you know, to me, to me, the best, I think, yes. So I want to go back to the question right initially, right, which was this concept of the overlap. Um, I do believe, especially in where there's kind of earlier on when you're really trying to uncover like what the customer's problem is and then designing for it, um, there absolutely is an overlap between designer and product manager. They're both trying to solve that same thing. Um, and I think there's there's a great way to actually partner together to solve those those things. Um, to me, I absolutely believe in that environment. Yes, your your designer should should own the design, right? That that illustrates you know what problem we're solving and how we might solve it. I think the designer owns it. Now, I think there's a step before that where we product manager, designer, anyone else in the company, we can get all in a table and for an hour just saying, hey, here's what we heard, here's what we're trying to solve for, and let's just start sketching stuff out, right? And that's a great way to start to generate a high quantity of ideas. And then I absolutely see an opportunity with the product manager and the product designer quickly afterwards, spend 30 minutes, converge on, hey, we're seeing these few themes and here's how these themes might work together into an experience. And maybe just do another quick sketch of what that could look like. And then really then handing it over to the designer, right? And again, we're doing all that up until that point is done together. And then really handing over the designer, hey, take this another step further, right? And I'm not just saying for fidelity wise, right? But but thinking more around kind of that, you know, that product design than the interaction design, right? That could really bring this all to life. And then let's come back together when that's ready and review that because that might emerge some things we haven't thought about um, and then iterate together on that. And I just see that working that way. Um, versus a, hey, product designer, go design and come back to me with what you've designed. There's a little bit of collaboration that can happen, you know, before, after, right? That, that I think really um, creates the most value. Because the last thing you want to do is just give one single person the, 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 the burden of having to think about it all. And that's hard, <laughs> right? So leverage that, hey, all good ideas can come from everywhere run a quick, you know, design sessions to merge all those things and then really let the designer take it from there and then come back to the table and let's see if there's an opportunity to iterate.
1: Yes, I really like that, um, especially with that point you just made about, you know, good ideas can come from anywhere. Um, and I like to combine that with like the, you know, the concept you were talking about earlier about getting rid of, role, or getting rid of titles and just like, hey, you know, we're all on the same team here. We're all you know collaborating to define what these these customer problems are based upon what we what we have observed and you know and you know exploring the problem space with lots of different ideas you know in a collaborative method and i i i really like product managers that are open to that collaboration that you know, getting things out of people's head, not just everybody st- sitting around a table and talking it, you know, talking at each other, but sketching, getting sticky notes on the board, getting, you know, sketching out your ideas, getting your stuff out of your head and get that, you know, sort of distributed cognition out into the room so that, you know, we can not use our brain power to hold a bunch of information in our head. That information's on the, on the wall. Now we can use our brain power to sort of you know, process through that. And, you know, that's the sort of the basis of design thinking is be able to get things out of people's heads, get things on the walls. And, you know, PMs that are, are like supportive of that, I think are a, a way better collaboration partner because we can get even that QA person that is may not, you know, not have a big personality and doesn't, you know, really talk, you know, or speak up in meetings. But if we can use, you know, our, our, our design team, thinking techniques and get them to, to create ideas and write them down on sticky notes. Sometimes the best idea came from that person that was sitting in the corner that wouldn't have spoke up otherwise. Right. And so I've seen, you know, both sides of that. It's like, you get you've got PM people that don't really understand design thinking. They don't understand distributed cognition and they're just like, they just go back into those old patterns of having meetings and 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 just, you know, talking around in circles and coming up with the first idea that sounds like it might be the best thing to solve the problem and just rally around that. And I appreciate, you know, PMs that are like, you know, have had that woke experience where they're just like, oh, wait a minute, there's actually better ways of doing this.
2: Yeah, two points. The first one is, and then I'll build on, you know, it's great that the QA, you know, an idea can come from anywhere, like the QA um represented in the room and what's great is you've got people like them bought in early to the solution because they were they actually came up with it so that's that's a big win there and anyone else who contributes they feel like they're part of it which is a huge part in, in really developing great products right is that everyone believes um, um i think i want to you know you talk about woke experiences I, I don't know maybe i think about it a little differently um you know, I think about myself, so this is why I, I feel like I can share a couple of different perspectives, pre-woke and post-woke, you know, pre-woke, you know, if we talked about that, you know, if I, I would have never, you know, created a session where we bring in diverse people and have a very clear challenge statement and let's get the post-its out and, and really, you know, sketch out different ideas and, and really do a good design session. I would have never done that. And I've, i and I asked myself why, um, and frankly, I think number one is I had no idea that that was a thing because I, had, there was no training on it. Uh, I had no education on it. So to our, you know, our discussion earlier is number one, number two, um, you know, when in, in that environment that I was in back then, it was, Hey, we're going to do this was what you were tell, told by the leadership and we need to get it done by this date. So when it's that level of certainty, that's being asked of you, it's, you're basically asked to execute. And if, you know, you're presented a situation where it sounds like all questions have been answered, then there's no reason to sit around and explore and, you know, come up with creative solutions. It was, we're not even, you know, in that environment, it wasn't even like, here's the problem. The user's problem or a customer's problem, and here's the solution. It's like, no, here's the solution. Right. <laughs> so you didn't even really know the problem. Let a, you know if you didn't know the problem, how can you even center around that, right? It's like this is the solution. So let's just go do it and go design it and go write requirements. Literally, was that it, you know was it? So you know, I I just think about and then there was no incentives to think creatively. You're you were gold by getting it out the door, and having those types of discussions maybe would have gotten things out faster, but more often than not, it was perceived as slowing things down. So it just it just didn't align. And and again, right, you, you have to look. So to me, I think about just kind of your, your product manager's upbringing. And then number two, what are they incentivized by at, at that company and that project? That's going to point to why things are the way they are.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing I really like about your story, uh, you know, about coming to... Uh, to be aware of design thinking methods and just design methodologies in general um, is that uh, yeah, having having been there with you like I remember that like at first I'm pretty sure you thought that we were just all high and trying to you know make up silly pastimes to avoid having to do the actual work of just execute ship get it out there and we're talking about, you know, research and getting out of the building and all this ridiculous stuff that was just, you know, it's pretty badly out of step with uh, particularly the, the culture of the moment. Right. Um, but then as we, you know, as we went through those uh, discussions together, hours and hours of talking and going to coffee and lunch and all that, um, you know, looking back at that, that's a, a really standout experience in, in my mind, you know, just having uh, gotten to, to share that.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, you know, we're we're going through a bit of a transformation right now and and there are a lot of pre-woke product managers and there's some woke product managers already given their past experiences. And you know, I you know, I think you point out something interesting, right? Like for me it took it took working seven years in a certain way and realizing that's got there's gotta be a better way. Um, having some people enter my life that were able to share a different perspective, one being Roman. Um, another one, we hiring one of the best design agencies uh, that I got to work on and work alongside them and see all that they did. Um, you know, it took a convergence of all of these things to happen for me to decide to one day be woke. And, you know, you start to look around and wonder, are you know, do the other product managers, are they, are they ever going to have a similar situation where they have the right people enter their life? They get to work on a, on a great project with a great agency and get to see the best at it do their work. Probably unlikely, right? That was that was one of a kind, probably, you know. So I completely, completely empathize and understand why, you know, certain folks, certain product managers are the way they are, right? I, I was them and and getting them to transform and and change when let's be honest, if anything, they've they've been rewarded and seen as successful up until now. What is their incentive to change? What's their big aha moment that says, "Why should I do this differently just because someone says so?" You know that that may not be enough to truly get them to believe. So you know it's 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 not easy, right? Um, but I do believe working in a much more thoughtful way, customer-oriented way, um, being very creative around solutions is going to be much more common. Um, but we're probably five or ten years out from it being commonplace.
1: It's one of those things where you can't make somebody become woke and become aware and say oh yeah we're you know we have to do this design thinking thing and they're like okay cool and they're just like bought into it and now they just that that's just something they do (laughs) you know jared spool always you know has had people ask him um how do i convince my executives that user experience is is important And, and he's like you can't I'm sorry, you're just not going to do it. It's like you can, you can, you know, act in the way that you do and, you know, and sell as much as you can, but it's probably not, he, that person's probably not going to change their mind just because you said so, right? He, they have to come to that conclusion themselves. Now, you can be a part of the environment that maybe helps get them there, but it, nothing you're going to do individually is going to be talk them into it. And they have to come to it on their own with their, you know, entire catalog of experiences that they go through. And that's the same thing, you know, with anybody, right? It's like, you can't, you know, they, you, everybody forgets that, you know, everybody has this, you know, lifetime of context that they have. Right. And it's like that lifetime of context is very hard to overcome with just, you know, one event or just one small period of time of experiences. And it's something that they have to, you know, slowly change and grow and, and, and and come to understand themselves. And you're not, you're probably not going to be the, the tipping point for them. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's it's incredibly hard. You know, I've I've been in organizations where, you know, they've brought in senior level folks that absolutely believe in design thinking, and they bring them in, and you know, they they somehow tell a story that's going to change the world, and you know, it doesn't, right? And I'm a big believer in design thinking. Um, you know, the way I think about it is, you know, I had a, a former manager once tell me this, right? He's a big believer in innovation frameworks, big believer in it. And kind of the big insight for for exec, you know that he shared with me that I knew but I could never frame it was when it comes to executives who maybe are new to it or don't understand, you know, no matter what you say to them, it's not gonna it's not gonna <laughs> convince them, right? Because they just don't understand, right? And that's just the reality of the situation. So how do you convince them that hey, you should interject a you know exploration process around because you know customer problems in in your timeline? And he said something that was really, really fascinating, and I just completely subscribed to it. For organizations like that, it's speak, you know, meet them where they are, which is, okay, great. What are you trying to accomplish? Let me understand that. When do you need it done? Got it. Then go off and try to, try to do that with the right thing process, right? In other words, okay, can we just, do we have time to just go spend a day to talk to customers? Should we just go to the mall and get something rather than nothing? Um, You know, point being there is you don't need to tell them your how. You don't need to tell your executives your how. Like, hey, I really think you should be taking a little bit of time here to really understand what your challenge is hey that you should talk to your customers and and do that research right the r word like don't even <laughs> use that word. don't even say that right literally it's like okay got it you you want that done why okay great now i understand when do you need it done got it no problem i can support that and then go off you know privately and try to figure out how do you how do you meet those objectives but also meet your desire to do it in a a better way. Don't try to talk to them about the how, because it's just gonna be seen and perceived as research. Oh, that's just adding to my timeline. We don't need that. Why do we need that, right? And having to convince them, you're probably not gonna be able to convince them. (laughs) So do one of two things, try to to, uh, meet the timelines by adding the things you need done, like talking to customers. If you really don't think there's time for it, then basically run a process that um, is okay, get stuff done, one one you know one one track and in a parallel track right start talking to customers and start mounting you know data points and evidence that says hey you know even 2 months into it we've learned something yes that first track is already going at least be able to say you know what we've learned some new things right that alters potentially the trajectory of what we're doing in that track one providing that evidence say hey i'm not stopping what you're doing but here's the evidence what do you think Right. And at least, you know, there's a decision point that says, you know what, maybe we need to not continue down the path or whatever we're doing and start to pivot into a different path. But bottom line is you didn't get in its way. All you were doing was interjecting new evidence, new data points that you should consider. If you don't consider it, that's fine. Keep going. But at least, you know, there was that uh, that thoughtful, like, hey, is this still the right path? But the key there is you never got in its way. You never explicitly got in its way um, throughout that.
0: That sounds like great advice for people, especially in those uh, kind of enterprise environments. It's very common where we have our way of doing things and this is not it. So, you know, can you can you insert just a little bit uh, and, and, you know, try to gain a foothold from that? Um, You know, as much as I love talking about, uh, you know, Product managers who are design woke, I, I think it's just as important to uh, make sure that we in the UX field are making designers who are design woke. Um, <laughs> which is to say, you know, actually hip to um, human-centered design methods, you know, so when I talk about Nelson uh, being sharp to design, I don't necessarily mean that he's, you know, jumping into sketch. What I mean is that he's, you know, open to uh, actually, you know, uh, talking to real people customers and real users and understanding their needs and really doing the, the, the full stack. Um, but I think it would, it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't ask you, um, you know, likewise, how, how do we not only make designers who are more design woke of course, but also um, getting into the realm of being product woke. Right. So um, not to be uh, confused with the, the, We'll call it a trend of people calling themselves product designers i think a lot of them are and then there's a lot that probably aren't but like the the name um but not talking about labels but actually talking about designers who really get product and are more effective for it
2: i think i think the big one you know if we i think you guys have talked about it the you know those the design thinking those three circles that overlap right desirable viable feasible um, a lot of designers that you know I've worked with in the past, um, you know, love to fall in the desirable bucket, right? <laughs> and and I'm gonna raise my hand and say I like that one too. It's the most fun, right? It, it, and and let's face it, you know, if you don't solve that, it doesn't matter what's viable or feasible. So it's it's also fair to say like that's that's the starting point, you know, and also the most fun. Um, I think I think the only advice I would have for designers is. Uh, falling in love with that and forgetting the other two viable and feasible, I think is 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 just what's a mistake, right? And it's funny when you know you talk to designers like, well, that's my job. And I'm like, no, I get I get that's your job, but if I can't, you know, if the organization can't monetize it and it's going to take us a year to build it or two years to build it, then what's the point? You know, and and I think um, and I think you know designers proud them pride themselves on. On being, you know, creative problem solvers, right? And and that's great, great. I have a viability problem and I have a feasibility problem. Please take that on as well, <laughs> you know. And and Roman, I think, has been wanting me to tell this story. So I have a mentor who worked in consulting and and you know manage teams um, that would be on engagements with enterprises that would hire them. That would have you know business. Uh, you know, they would have a researcher, designer, and some type of business designer, right? There's that title too. Um, And, you know, the designer, right, came back with a solution and experience. And I'm not going to quote it well, but the point was, it was like they showed a desktop experience. And on the bottom left of the corner, right, uh, was this some type of thing that was supposed to give value to the user. And on each page after that, it would be uh, the same box on the bottom left, which would have a different, you know, type of value, right? And his whole point was like, you know, my, you know, my mentor into his team was like, what's the point of having this thing on the bottom left, which already illustrates the importance of it. It's on the bottom left. (laughs) Like, why does that have to be this dynamic thing on every page from then on, you know, and, and, and find out that it's going to take, you know, an additional three months to deliver that. And you know, the story was like, Oh, yeah, because it has so much value and blah blah, but it's on the bottom left. So how much value could it really be? And I, you know, I always remember my my mentor basically saying, effing designer, right? Because it's, it's just the <laughs> classic story of a designer falling in love with what was desirable and forgetting what was feasible, or the fact that is, guys, you know, one of the first things we needed to do is prove our fundamental thesis of this product. And that's probably the center of the screen, the top part. Like Like, we should understand that and know that and be laser focused on delivering that to test, you know, our hypothesis, right? And our biggest assumptions. And it's just like, you know, this is a, you know, pretty well-known, you know, consulting agency. And it's funny how even designers you would think, you know, that are working in those places would generally align on those principles. But no, they fall in love with desirable. So you know, I think I think that would be you know a big recommendation. And I think my second recommendation that I would have is you know designers always pride themselves on being empathetic or empathic, I don't whatever however you say it. Um, But they often do it for their users, their customers, and what they don't do it for are for those internal, whether it's their product manager, whether it's their executive leadership, their sponsors who have very specific business things, business problems they're trying to solve. So again pride yourself on being you know human centered great being be human centered on and you know towards folks internally understand what's the what's the motivation of your product manager and bringing that to light and you don't have to agree with it but if you can at least understand it and and have your product manager feel like you understand it and that you just listen that's 80 percent of the battle they're just going to open up you know working together even more um, and I'm gonna raise my hand, right? When I was des- became Design Woke in the very beginning, I completely forgot empathy for, for folks internally. You know, it was like, hey, everyone should work this way because it makes sense and everyone should do that. And realizing that that was gonna hit a wall with, with folks internally, right? And not really trying to take, under, uh, take, take into account how they were thinking about things and, and factoring that in. So a couple of things that I believe strongly and just uh, going through this experience.
1: One of the things that I find is like hugely missing from design education is that business side of things, right? You know, we're talking, we, we learn about research methods, we learned about, you know, design gestalt, we learn about, you know, a little bit even about, you know, software engineering sometimes. But um, what sometimes we just miss is the business side of things and, 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 you know, understanding you know how the the business is actually making money how's the business actually you know what what is their business model how what is their value chain and being able to understand that in context of the needs of these users right you can't you can't separate the two you can't just like only focus on the, the you know, the, these users and not like think about the business and the value chain and all the infrastructure, especially an enterprise software company has built up around the product offering that they currently have. You can't just ignore all that, you know, you have to make, you have to really deeply understand that as well as understanding the the, the, the hard customer problems that you're trying to solve. And you need to be able to consider both of those things at the same time. So I think, um, it, you know, from from my standpoint, that's one of the things that's missing in, you know, design education today is, is, is really a focus on understanding the business as well as the customer problems.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the, I think the key there is you can also lean on the product manager for a lot of the business, like bringing some of the business details, how things work. um, Because I think that is a potential area. Not, not that I want to say it's a clean separation, Right. But I think, you know, the product manager should be leading a lot of that, like understanding the economics, understanding how money flows um, and being able to then partner with, you know, the product designer to really bring that story to life. Bringing it all together. Right. Whether, you know, both the, the business side of it and the, the design desirable side of it. So to me, I think that's another great opportunity for that partnership. And I think if there's an acknowledgement that, hey, it's needed and me designer, I can do some of it. But if I also know that I can lean on my product manager to do a lot of that, that's great, right? So that I don't have, you know, designers have to feel like they're burdened with that completely. Um, But, you know, big number one step is just being the willingness to say, you know, where, what is all that information? Let's get all of that. And how do we combine it with, with all the desirable stuff, all the things we're learning about customers and their needs and their pain points and bringing it all together and tell one unified story um, is just gold at that point.
1: Yeah, I think um, that having that mutual understanding that, hey, I, you know, from a designer, I, the, you know, the designer and PM know, understand that, hey, you know, as a PM, I need to know a little bit more about design research methods and the designer, I need to know more about the business and understand that and being able to, you know, collaborate and, under you know, have a, have a dialogue about that and have some shared understanding that, you Hey, this person over here may need some more context about the business, and the PM might need more context about, you know, research methods and 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 and, and things like that as well. So I think, yeah, there's like a, a mutual uh, mutual need for you know that exchange of information in you know in a collaborative environment, so that everybody has the big picture and not just are only thinking about their little silo of things inside their little bubble.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And let's, you know, for people that are new to doing a lot of this, you know, designers thinking about, you know, how money flows and the overall business model, all that, you know, if they're new to it, they're new to it. And if you've got product managers who've never, ever done any research or ever talked to a customer and saw them face to face, uh, it took me many years before I did that. Uh, It was not only new, hard, scary at the same time, you know? So, you know, I think it's, 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 I think the first step is just acknowledging that 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 work is needed and then again, leveraging each other's skill sets so that um, we can start, both sides can start to learn how to do it themselves. And not to say that we would no longer need a designer or a product manager or a designer doesn't need a product manager, but, you know, there's nothing better than, hey, let's go, we've got a problem. We, We believe we can learn something from customers. And then being able to have one interview, the designers leading that interview because they've got some research experience. And then the product manager that, you know, does the next one. And then the designer supporting that product manager in that interview and vice versa. Uh, there's nothing better than that, than as, as both sides are just building up skill sets um, that, that are applicable through just being, building better products and better businesses. So, you know, to me, that's how I think about it. That's, that's where I go back to what I said earlier, which is kind of dropping the titles, you know. It's like, hey, guys, we see an opportunity to learn from customers. That's a, everybody does that. There should not be that, oh, that's the researcher's job or that's the designer's job. You know, There's nothing more, I think, you, know, you can learn than hearing it directly from the customer and internalizing it yourself. Um, and, th- and that's what I actually love about my leadership at my current company. Uh, my current leadership will never hire a researcher. They believe VOC, that, that job is everybody's job. And if you're not doing it, you don't know your customer, then I can't trust anything you recommend. Um, and, and that's what I, you know, that's what I really appreciate about, you know, um, you know, kind of how my leadership thinks about product development and, and, and launching products. So it's, it's been pretty, pretty cool to be in a place like that. And I know that's not common, you know, so I, I feel very lucky to be that.
0: So far, this conversation has been awfully agreeable. Um, I think Larry had anticipated a little more pushback, so, um, because I consider, you know, I, I consider product people part of the uh the UX tribe. Um, I'd like to invite you to give some honest and direct feedback to the generic designer in your life anywhere. What's what's some of the stuff that we need to stop doing, or or do less, or maybe a little differently?
2: Wow, that's a big question. Um, I mean, I think I mentioned a couple earlier. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned, right, making sure you're think, you know, the, the designers are thinking about all three, right, part of the circles, right, viability, desirable, feasible. Um, one, number two is understanding the environment that they're in and having empathy for those in their environment, right, on the business side, their product manager. Um, I think, I think, I don't know if that's so much as you know, directed at a designer, but I think it's something that's really important that I, I feel like I run into is really kind of at the start of any new initiative, like being very clear, and this is both on the design, everybody involved, right? Being very clear on what we're trying to accomplish, what success looks like, our shared beliefs to, you know, to do those things. Um, you know, So like I recently worked on, on, on something uh, with a designer and I was at the product design phase. What problem are we solving? And what's, what's the right possible solutions or what's the right solution to solve that problem? You know, I didn't really care so much about interaction design because I was at product design. To me, you know, I, see, I always see the levels, right? It's product design, interaction design, and then visual design. Um, you know, and I think you start to mature through those, right? Especially if you're working early on on something big and brand new, you're largely just doing product design and who cares about fidelity, right? You just need to illustrate you know, what you're solving for and how you're solving it. Um, But even something as simple as that, and I I was working with a designer who I know understands importance of voice of customer. They understand, you know, methods right at a high level. I was at product design mode and they were at interaction design mode. So they were spending so much time trying to get the interaction right. They weren't at a visual. I should know that they were also doing visual, (laughs) but they were spending so much time on that. And, you know, I was struggling trying to get them to understand yeah, I, I value all that. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good, good, good information there. But th- these are the core things we're trying to solve right now. And what is the right level of, of deliverable that illustrates that? And no need to go beyond that. Um, you know. And I, I share this more, of not necessarily like, hey, designers need to do less. It's just this, like, even though you have. People that believe in the same methodology, even those types of differences start to come in, and and it's like fascinating, right? You're like, wait a second, I'm working with a designer who I believe gets this, and yet, wait, I'm still struggling there. So, and what I, I guess my, what I'm really converging on is this stuff is hard, and everyone com- comes from their their point of view and their experience, and and it's important to really just take that little bit of effort up front to really be crystal clear about you know, really what the challenge is and how we'll work together. I think having just a little more up of that upfront, I think we'll just really set the stage and check in on that like every couple of weeks um, would be a really, really good thing. Um, but, you know, other than that, it's just knowing that it's a partnership, right? That That, hey, we're not always going to agree um, that, Hey, if we understand what the goals are, we can, and what are those kind of general guiding principles? When we disagree, we can go back to those guiding principles, go back to those goals and say, Hey, we agreed to this. This is what success looked like. This is how we felt like we should work and could work. Hopefully a lot of that just gets solved based on that, right? Have that kind of North star. It's when you just jump into things, everyone <laughs> just jumps in, right? Cause they just want to get started, sure, right? We sure. all want to solve. Yeah. Right. But if we're dogfooding our process, we should be like, wait a second, let's, you know, let's, what are we solving for? Um, let's, let's be crystal clear about that. And I think if you do that, you're better off, better, better, better likely to succeed. Um, but, you know, there's no silver bullet.
0: Did you uh, think of anything that uh, you'd like to share with us for Stop Designers
2: Love? I haven't used this one in a while, but actually came across it early on when we were working together, Roman. I don't even know how I came across it. It was just balsamic, and this actually ties to what I was just saying earlier, which was I like fell in love with balsamic because no matter what you do, you cannot make that high fidelity, uh, and 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 that was <laughs> brilliant because of what I just said earlier, which is you're solving for product design, it doesn't matter how visually appealing it is and all of the necessary interactions at that moment in time. It was brilliant. And, and to talk about a product that understood what problem they were trying to solve. Uh, And it was about product design and not about visual design. So they completely stripped away all of that. And I remember looking for things to raise the fidelity and then you just couldn't do it. So I still remember literally like taking, doing what I could in Balsamic and then taking a screenshot of it and then porting it over to PowerPoint and then building on top of that. I remember (laughs) even doing that. But then, you know, finally realizing, wait a second, it is about product design. That's really what I'm trying to do here. And it, it was just great at doing that.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that every single wireframe that I've ever gotten from a product manager was either made
0: in MS
1: Paint or Balsamic.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's a great observation. The The fidelity level of Balsam, Balsamic is brilliant from the designer side, too, because when I see something coming from Balsamic, I'm like, oh, good, this product manager is not going to think he's des- designing screens for me. <laughs> So they solved everybody's pain with that. Well, I'd say
1: even, I mean, even sometimes that Balsamiq's um, wireframes are too high fidelity, but uh, that could be another conversation <laughs> at some point because anytime you make something that looks like the UI, everybody starts to make, you know, assumptions about the doneness of it, no matter how sketchy you make it. And therefore, you know, it's, it's um, yeah. Um, I think there's other ways you can do wireframes where you don't have layout at all. You just like, I have a hierarchy of um, content and functionality on a page. Right. Um, and then you, you, know, you can start with that s- stuff like that. But um, you know, yeah. balsamiq has been a very uh, popular PM tool.
2: So there's a school of thought that when you're early on doing something brand new, that you want to keep things low fidelity. And when you take those to your customer, that you show them low fidelity, um, items so that they don't get mired in the font, the colors and whatnot. Um, do you subscribe to that? Because there's also the other school of thought, which is it needs to be extreme high fidelity so that they can truly interact with it because it becomes much more tangible. Um, here's what you, what you all believe.
1: So I, boy, I think my thinking on that has evolved over the years. And I think I'm to the point where it's either has to be super low fidelity, like not even design, more of like concepts and 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 you know maybe content hierarchies and stuff like that, or it has to be something that looks exactly like the product you think you're going to deliver. And I, when you get anywhere in between there, the assumptions about where that product is and, and what they should be focusing on are too vague. Um, like with a balsamic mock like for instance, you know, or, you know, something sketchy like that. So I, 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 I kind of landed on, it has to be either super ridiculously vague and, or not vague, but, you know, super ridiculously early and sketchy or more concept model or pixel perfect as, as, as possible.
0: That's kind of where I am. Roman, what do you think? Um, I, I'm not picky. <laughs> 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 no, I think you can use something that's in the middle um, to test certain things. So, for instance, if you wanted to evaluate uh, uh, certain uh, factors of uh, information architecture or a navigation flow, you could do that in, you know, grayscale wireframes that still have you clicking in the, the neighborhood of where you would be clicking, you know, to, to do some evaluation there. Um, I don't think that's going to suffer for not looking, you know, pixel perfect. Um, but for the most part, I, 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 in principle, I agree with what you're saying as far as you should test low stuff, you know, extreme low fidelity and extreme high fidelity, but I I wouldn't throw out the middle, you know, it's more a matter of because research and talking to users is the thing that gets thrown overboard. So often I'm at this like phase of my career where it's like, test whatever you have whenever you can, because you might not get another chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's good as well. Um, I think you just have to understand at the different fidelities that you're testing what the limitations of that artifact are and how people can um, have certain biases, depending on, you know, you know what, what they're looking at. And, and it, it's going, the artifact they are using is going to affect the test in some way, right? Even a high fidelity mock-up that looks like the thing they're going to, they're going to use is not going to be as good as the actual thing, especially in like enterprise software, if they're, you know, their their actual interface with their own company data or something like that. Right. So you, Understanding the limitations of anything that you're testing is really, really important when you're using it to to gather feedback from customers.
2: Hey, quick question, guys. Uh, one last question. Uh, so you mentioned uh, this was agreeable. I'd love to hear whether Larry or Roman, you know, what were your what kind of your, your thoughts about what might not be uh, something we could align on.
1: Um, well, and honestly, after after uh, having this conversation, um, I take back all the bad things I said about product
0: managers.
2: <laughs> well, good, uh, that, was, that was successful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I take back half the mean things I said about product managers. <laughs>
2: and, and by the way, there's 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 truth in. I heard your your guys's podcast. The overlap, and there was a ton of truth to what you were saying because being on the woke side. I struggle with a lot of those things, too. Um, I think I come from a place where I used to be unwoke and and uh, and now I acknowledge that. Okay, great. It's it's a journey. Um, You hope that you work at a company that values um, working in a woke way. um, And and that'll just be a journey for certain folks and anything you can do to help them, you know, the better.
0: Well, Nelson, I appreciate you making time to uh, join the show, and uh,
2: yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun, and I'm glad I could share a little bit of insight. Um, yeah, thanks so much.
0: Yeah,
1: appreciate you having me on the show. This was really, really good. I uh, um, appreciate all your wisdom and your wokeness.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna put that in my LinkedIn woke. <laughs> That's right, woke product guy. <laughs> yep.
1: I just hope like everybody out there isn't like offended by the how we've just uh, uh, accommodated this term woke. <laughs> in our conversation. Yeah, totally. I think it probably means something slightly different in other countries.
0: Yeah, yeah. I imagine we're we're, <laughs> we're stepping on somebody's toes. Nevertheless, it's it's not out of spite or mean spirit. Well, if you'd like to learn more about the world of product management, check out Product School. Product School is committed to pushing the product community forward. So they publish books and courses uh, host awards and run product con, um, and I'm familiar with Product School because of Nelson. Nelson's uh, a host to uh, Product School meetup in Orange County, so visit productschool.com/product-management-events to find an event near you. Nelson, thanks again for being on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun, guys.
0: If you found the show useful, usable, and desirable, please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember that UX Like Us is your podcast.
1: Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know what you'd like us to have on the show and what you're discussing in your practice right now. Um, I'm Larry King, so you can follow me at l a king on Twitter and Roman Burkott is at Stuperman, the best UX handle for Twitter ever. (laughs)